0: Welcome to Missionary Mindset. This is the podcast where we do a deep dive on all things missions in East Asia. This week, we have a special episode with David Rogers. He's a missions and youth pastor of a rural church in the USA. We talk about how a rural church becomes a missions focused church. We also discuss how their missionaries in Ukraine have been impacted by what's going on there and how to minister in a war zone. So I'll start you out with the same question I ask everybody just kind of tell me a little bit about yourself. Your background and kind of what made you go into ministry. I know you've been in ministry a long time. So, right,
1: right. Um, Well, my name is David Rogers. I'm the associate pastor of youth and missions at Clayton Baptist Church in Clayton, Georgia. Um, I've been here 36 years. It's the only church I've ever served in. Um, Since I'm the youth pastor, that's my primary heart's desire calling. The missions got added uh, later on, uh, probably about let's see, 10 years ago, really, um, because w- the way we did missions with our students was working so well. Our pastor wanted it done for the entire church that way. And so we came up with a 10-year plan. And for the last 10 years, we've been working that plan. It's, it's nothing It's nothing, um, earth-shattering or original. It's just pray, give, and go. You know, we pray for our missionaries or our mission efforts and we give to them. And then, you know, every chance we get when it's possible, we go. But my my first love is students, middle schoolers and high schoolers. And the way I came to that, I had such a great time as a student in a youth group growing up. I wanted to do that. I I didn't start that. I wanted to be in the Air Force, and I was on track to do that. And then God had other plans. He interrupted everything and pretty much closed all the doors and then opened the doors to ministry. So I ended up going to seminary, uh, working summer camps, youth camps, and then you know, got my first call here to Clayton, and have been here ever since. Um, you know, I'm very involved in the high school, which is very unusual that we're allowed to do that. But it's a small community up in the mountains, and we do things differently here. So I'm allowed, you know, to go in, and you know, I'm chaplain of the sports teams, especially the football team uh, here at Raven County. Um, so that's that's just a real short, you know, who I am and and how I got into it you know, the older I get, the more I love working with students. I I seem to have more energy now than ever. I'm more excited now than ever. Uh, And the same for missions, just all the personal relationships we have, like with y'all. And then, you know, people in Ukraine and South America and um, all over North America, um, those relationships have become very special
0: to us. So how did, because I know you talked about a little bit about y'all changing from just a missional focus for kind of the youth group to like a missional focus for the whole church. How does a like a rural church like you guys become so missional minded? The church
1: has always been missions minded as far as, well, I say they're giving. They have always given very generously to all of your Southern Baptist causes, your your Georgia Baptist Children's Home, your Annie Armstrong Easter Offering, Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, um, you know those kinds of things. And anytime there was a need expressed to the church, hey, you know, there's this, there's this need, um, the church would meet that. And while that was good, and we had all these prayer groups, you know, typically WMU and and whatnot, um, we weren't going nobody in the church was really going on mission and doing missions and sharing the gospel and discipling. And so we were doing that with our students. We were raising them up, teaching them to be good disciples, teaching them how to share the gospel, and then going on mission trips. And our pastor saw that and was like, well, the whole church ought to be doing this. And they just needed a a jumpstart. And so he asked me to come up with a plan on one page. And and so I did. And the church adopted that as part of who they are uh, officially. And now that's just become a very big part of who we are. And now that we've finished, we're finishing that 10-year plan this year, we're looking at a at a, another 10-year plan that's a little more flexible. And I don't know why we went with 10 years. It just seemed to be a starting point. And, you know, we kept This one will be more adjustable as we go. But that's kind of how it started. And then since that point, we've gone from just youth going on mission trips to all ages of the church going on mission trips, not only halfway around the world, but down the street. And that that has become real important to us, too, is we have no business leaving the country sharing the gospel and ministering, if we're not doing it down the street to the people, you know, who are right here in our own community. So there's a very strong local missional effort and there's a very strong um, foreign missional effort or, you know, outside our our boundaries.
0: Uh, Kind of going off that, I feel like a lot of rural churches especially can get kind of discouraged when you talk about like sending people from your own church out, like even just down the street. Is there any advice you could give to, to rural churches in general? What's the best way just to start?
1: (laughs) Well, God's called us, God's called us to go. I mean, that's clear from Matthew 28. Uh, And then, you know, in Acts, he follows that up with your Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so you just have to find, let's just say locally, every community has needs. And what you want to do is find a way to be able to meet those needs, but also in meeting those needs, have an opportunity to share the gospel. And for so many communities right now, because inflation's so high and people are, are becoming poor and poor, one of the easiest ways to do that is to get into some kind of food ministry, a food distribution. Uh, we actually have two programs now for food distribution. One, uh, our church started and now the whole community helps out And we literally go to people's homes and take them a box of food uh, regularly. And so we're able to build relationships with those people and share the gospel. But we were approached by another organization, not in our community, and said, um, we want to come and bring boxes of food and help you share the gospel. But this is one of those programs where the people come to you um, and, you know, you just put it out there. Hey, we've got free food. Come and get it. And when they come, they're interviewed and we share the gospel with them. And that's all it takes is as long as you let us share the gospel with you, you get a box of food. There's no strings attached. You know, we're not going to beat down your door or anything. And so last month we had 43, um, 43 families come and get food in that particular program. And we were able to share the gospel 43 times. So, So the question might be asked, Well, does that mean? The person has to hear the gospel every time they come for the food. Yep. Um, But once they come and like we've had, um, um, was it last year, we had 19 people get saved. So those 19 people now get discipled when they come for food. The person that they meet with disciples them. So it's not just about sharing the gospel. It's about growing them in their faith and and helping them connect with a local church. Doesn't have to be our church. Typically, it's not uh, because we're the biggest church in the county. But um, as long as we're able to share the gospel and disciple people, that's one of the easiest ways for a rural church is because most that most every community, most every county, most every small town has got people who need help, especially with food month to month.
0: I feel like that's really good advice. How many different mission projects are you guys actually involved with? Or do you even currently, know? <laughs> I know there's probably Currently,
1: a lot. right now, we have at least 23 partnerships locally and globally oh wow and for a small church like us that is um just bizarre i mean i'll be honest with you it's too much i mean and that's one of the things we're doing with our next 10-year plan is it's kind of what we're doing right now is just like a shotgun we just kind of send our efforts out everywhere and we might i hate to use this phrase but we might get more bang for our buck instead of shooting like a shotgun is if it's more focused. I hate to use the word sniper, but if it's um, much more finely focused. So we actually um, are going to be reducing the number of partnerships so that we can more effectively stay in contact with, build relationships and financially and prayerfully support the missionaries we have or the, or the partnerships we have better. And when we did a, an experiment with our budget and reduce those partnerships, when we did that, we um, saved $25,000. And with those, with that extra money, we would be able to help fund some of our missionaries with a whole lot more prayer support, a whole lot more financial support and a whole lot more personal relationships and our going to those partnerships. It's very difficult to do because we have 23 sets of relationships and it's not that anybody's doing a bad job. It's that we're not doing a good job of supporting who we've got like we want to, like we feel like scripture calls us to do. And so in order to do that, as one missionary we recently talked to said, you know, when you say yes to one thing, you have to say no to others. And by saying yes to something, you eliminate other things. And that's hard for Americans, especially because we want to be all, we want to do all, and we're actually hurting ourselves in our mission efforts. So we want, to, we want to lovingly reduce those partnerships so that we can be a better partner with the partners that remain. So that's kind of what we're working towards. And I know a lot of people are doing that. Some churches are just focusing on one ministry and one ministry only, and that's great. But we're looking at our people, and our people are varied, and they have different interests and different, different hearts. Some people have a heart for food ministry. Some people have a heart for sharing the gospel. Some people have a heart for discipleship. Some people have a heart for construction. So we've got to find partnerships where all of our people can invest in. And so we've got to maintain a certain number of partnerships so that we can um, help use our people to the best of their abilities with the God-given gifts and talents they
0: have. How did, because I know you guys, you said you were involved in 23 different separate ministries. Do you have any idea of how COVID affected those ministries or how, I mean, obviously the ones that were local, you would know, know best on how COVID affected them.
1: Locally, that was an easy one because, um, you know, at first, like you all, everything was shut down. And then after after 10 weeks, we kind of looked around and said, well, this isn't working very well. And our people are really being harmed by not being together. So we just started opening back up. And a lot of people took their cues from us and started opening back up churches and then ministries. Locally, it didn't affect us too much. You know, mostly it was wearing a mask. Globally it pretty much cut us off at the knees, you know, cause like you yeah. all, there's a 14 day or, you know, however long quarantine, uh, anywhere in Europe, we couldn't go at all because Europeans didn't want Americans at all um, in yeah. some places that's still the case, but in it pretty much eliminated our uttermost. For the last two years, we have not been able to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. We haven't been able to go to Peru, Ukraine, um thailand you know wherever we want to go we have it in north america it even prevented us going from some places because i'll give you an example colorado we wanted to have a mission trip but they were really really shut down and georgia wasn't see that's the thing georgia opened up real quick so that allowed us to in, you know in georgia and surrounding states we could still operate but places like uh, colorado uh, alaska We didn't get to go one year because Alaska was just so shut down by COVID. And then when they opened back up, um, it depended on what ministry you wanted to do. Like we worked the Iditarod race. uh, We've worked it every year and you have to have a vaccine. And a lot of our people don't want the vaccine. So that meant they couldn't go. But yet the, the ministry that we partner with in Alaska didn't require a vaccine and neither did the areas they worked in. So we were still able to go to Alaska to do some ministry, but not other ministry.
0: Oh, okay. That's really interesting. I know yep. you you mentioned Ukraine and that's the bulk of what we were going to talk about anyways. So how has your church, I know you talked about your partnerships, how has your church worked in Ukraine and kind of what's the ministry that you guys have assisted in there?
1: We started um, with a ministry that was actually working in Russia, but they had wanted to Enter into Ukraine. Uh, the director of that ministry was from Ukraine, actually from Lviv, and uh, they asked us to go. We wanted to work in an orphanage, and that's that's kind of how the ministry started. Was working in orphanages, and then once we got to doing that with the local churches, they started asking us to come back and teach, you know, discipleship classes or preaching classes or you know different things to help them minister better, um, and and then it was. First Kiev, and then it was Greater Kiev, and then it became Lviv and Kiev, and then the it kind of shifted to Lviv. Not that we stopped partnering with our folks in in Lviv, but we kind of uh, in Kiev, but we started focusing more on the Lviv area, and we got connected with a couple of other ministries that were you know not Southern Baptist per se, but but theologically, we're just right down the line with what we believed. And so we got partnered with them. And then, of course, the war hit and all of a sudden um, everything, you know, changed. It became, you know, you know, specific prayer requests, specific needs. How can we get money to you since the international banking community had shut things down? How, you know, how can we if if we need to bring people over, how can we do that? And so we it almost we turned into kind of a clearinghouse of, you know, especially people around here want to know how they can help. And so we started directing people to specific people, to specific ministries. Um, and so that's why my schedule's gotten so weird is because I'm the one doing all that.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. So what does, what does ministry in Ukraine look like right now for, for your missionaries or for your partners? Um,
1: well, in, in, let's just start with Kiev they went from it, they're still doing uh, humanitarian aid taking but mostly taking food to elderly people who could not escape or would not leave um, They went from being able to host church services to having to do those online uh, they went from their normal jobs um, whatever their normal job was to in like in one case they took food to elderly people, uh, went to a checkpoint to visit with the soldiers and the volunteers and bring them food, and then went to a factory and built hedgehogs, anti-tank barriers. I mean, that's what their lives have, have you know, come to. But they're constantly trying to help people out with food or water or help people escape you know, the city itself to go somewhere else in Ukraine or to get out of the city altogether. That would be Kiev. In Lviv, um, the missionaries actually, because um, they had children or elderly parents uh, with them or responsible for them, they left the country and went to um, Poland and Czech Republic and worked with their ministry partners. And what they're doing is going back and taking humanitarian aid, picking up refugees and then taking them back out. And so it's been just a, just a constant um, cycle. They all want to go back. But um, as one of the missionaries said, you know, when the air raid sirens went off that first day and my kids freaked out and we could not find a shelter to go to, I knew I had to take care of my family immediately and then I could continue to minister. And that's what they did. They got out um, and then just set up shop, set up camp, so to speak in another country. But, With so many, you know, now 4 million people have evacuated Ukraine, there's a constant flow of people. And so they've been able to help um, with humanitarian aid, but also churches are popping up in these um, in these refugee camps, in these towns where Ukrainians have gathered. And so they're able to minister in these brand new churches, leading worship, uh, teaching discipleship classes, and then still take the humanitarian aid over and bring refugees back.
0: And now, a word from our sponsor. Taiwan Missionary Fellowship is a movement of missionaries working together to reach Taiwan for the gospel through a network of mission organizations, church leaders, national gatherings, training events, and resources. For more information, go to tmf.org.tw. This podcast wouldn't be here without Taiwan Missionary Fellowship. So I just want to let you know about a recent update they had at TMS. I'm happy to announce that they have a brand new website with an online directory. The online directory is a super useful resource to find missionaries and their ministries in Taiwan and other parts of Asia. You can search by location or category. If you're interested in having your ministry or organization listed on the website, go to tmf.org.tw. That's tmf.org.tw. This is probably a dumb question, but did you have discussions with like your partners and your missionaries in Ukraine before the war started, yeah. like before? Yes, So, how yes. Did...
1: we wanted to know, one, were they going to stay and how could we help them? And two, if they had to leave, you know, was there a way that we could help them or did they need to come all the way over to this country? Nobody wanted to leave because they understood two things. One, they didn't want to leave their people, their churches, their ministries, and they knew their ministries were changed. But two, as one missionary put it, you know, you talk about being faithful to God and trusting God, but then if you turn around and say you trust God, but then leave the country, what does that tell your people, your congregations that you leave behind? And one of the missionaries has had trouble with that. The people that they left are very angry at them for leaving. And so that's going to create problems when they come back to minister. On the other hand, many of them understood the reason, that the need to leave, um, so that they could minister in a new way. So, um, the people in Kiev, on the other hand, they weren't leaving no matter what. That's their home. That's their they they're Ukrainian nationals. Um, the missionaries in Lviv, neither were Ukrainian nationals, um, but that doesn't mean they don't love the country, but. In one case, their organization wanted them to leave or needed them to leave. It would it would work better for ministry. And the other one, because they had elderly parents involved, just had to get out to protect them. But our folks in Kiev, um, all their children were sent away, and all of the grandparents were sent to other countries, whether that's Poland, Romania, Germany. But the husbands and wives stayed. The husbands because they have to fight, you know, because they're eighteen yeah. to sixty, and the wives were like. Um, we've got people to take care of our kids. We're standing by our husbands. We're going to do ministry and we're going to fight beside them if necessary.
0: So I guess you guys, or well, not you guys, you specifically <laughs> have been in pretty close contact with a lot of them. Have Has there been anything that's like surprised you as you've walked through that? Because obviously that's, I mean, it's an ordeal for the people staying there, but it's also, you know, and a toll on you as well, you know.
1: It is. Um I'm grateful to do it and I, I'm, I feel called to do it and I'm glad God has got me doing it. Um, it is hard. What was the question again? I just lost my train of
0: thought. <laughs> okay. How have the discussions gone? Cause I mean, I know it's difficult for you being in that position. One, you know, obviously
1: you haven't the been through que- a war like that. <laughs> the first question is, are they safe? And to this point, all 40 plus are safe. That's a, that's a miracle in itself now because Mm -hmm. the kids and the grandkids are gone. There's fewer people there now, but our translators, our missionaries, our partners, everybody's safe. Uh, in one case, I've got a translator who has seen Russian tanks drive by her window, um, a shell, a missile hit near their apartment building and blew the windows out, but she has an elderly mother and they're staying put but yet the ministry that they both have is people who used to thumb their noses at Jesus, or just think they were crazy, or, you know, it's just your religion and it's controlled by the government are now calling them saying, how do I know this Jesus? How do I get closer to God in Ukraine? It's not, how do I get saved? It's how do I repent? And so there's been incredible opportunities to share the gospel as a result So we find out if they're safe, we find out what their needs are, we find out how their ministries are going, and then we ask them, how can we pray for you specifically? And then I take those requests and share them amongst our people. I share them on social media. I share them with people who have started keeping up with me so they can tell their church how to pray and their people how to pray or how to give. Um, and so that's what it, that's how it's become. That's why I kind of call it kind of a clearinghouse. I find out from them and then I share, and then I go back to them and say, this is what I've done. Or, you know, we've prayed for these things, or you should be getting this money, you know? And so there's just a constant communication.
0: Did, did you or anyone from your church consider actually going there to try and assist people or in any humanitarian way, I don't even know, to be honest, I don't even know if the Southern Baptists have sent any like any big group with like humanitarian, uh, obviously being in Taiwan, it's a little bit, we're cut off a right. little bit.
1: <laughs> the Southern Baptists already had people, you know, internet, IMB missionaries yeah. in Ukraine. So they've been working through them. And of course, um, The the send from send from North American Mission Board has been taking up money. The IMB has been taking up money. And so they've been they've been doing that, you know, like, you know, getting out prayer requests, funds, using their people on the ground. Um, nobody from from those contacts that I know of have actually, you know, like sent Americans over. I know some Americans have gone with other aid organizations and are in Poland or Czechoslovakia. We have already been asked by one of our missions partners to consider coming this summer and doing day camp in a refugee, in a refugee camp mm. um, or in a different country, specifically for Ukrainian children, because of the uh, four, four and a half million Ukrainian children have been displaced by the war, and half of those have left the country. So the four million uh, people who've evacuated Ukraine in, you know, into Poland, Romania, and all the other countries two million of them are children. So there's a lot of children who are needing ministry to. And so one of our partners has asked us to consider flying over to one of the countries and doing day camp. It'd be a very small team, like three or four people. Um, I have been presented the opportunity of possibly going um, with Samaritan's Purse to help with one of their field hospitals as just a, you know, strong, strong back and weak mind, so to speak, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing, which I'm all all for. Um, as far as sending a group, other than that one opportunity, we're waiting until the war ends and the rebuilding occurs because we know all of our partners have already expressed the interest of us coming back and helping with the, the after, you know, the after effects, the whether it's rebuilding um, or whatever. And, and of course, you know, President Zelensky invited anybody in the world who wanted to come over and help fight with them, that they could join the international defense force of Ukraine. And um, I only know of one person who's considered that. And I definitely am not going to share that. that, that But, but um, when you see, and, and the, the, the motivation was behind behind that was our country's not doing enough. And typically the motivation to go over there is I've prayed, I've given, but I still feel like God's calling me to do more. Well, that do more would be to go. And so depending on whether you can find a relief agency that will let you go or you've got a mission partner that wants you to come over, because right now going over would not be a good thing because they don't have enough food to feed themselves, much less somebody else. You know, it's a war area. So it's going to be better after, you know, after the war's over and they begin the rebuild process. And you don't want to burden the people. You don't want to burden the people you're ministering to if you're taking food and water and essentials away from them to take care of us, then you're not helping. Um, so you want to be a help to the people you go to. And right now, the biggest help is they keep telling us the number one thing they need is prayers. Pray, 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 pray. Um, even financially, they say they're doing OK. And I check on that regularly. You know, Do you have enough? Do you have your needs? met? Yes, yes, yes. And we will let you know when we don't. Please pray, please pray, please pray. Um, And I'll give you a story. We prayed for a semi trailer. One of the ministries needed a tractor trailer so they could get more aid into more areas. And so we said, okay, we'll pray for a tractor trailer. We prayed for it Sunday. We got it Wednesday and the possibility of two more. That that you can't replace. So if we're prayer warriors right now and that's all we can do, by gollies, we're going to pray for semi trucks till they to, you know, they, they're they telling us to stop. And if it's given money, our people have been very gracious. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars have been given to individuals, ministries, our partners. And, you know, we are, we are actively waiting. People are getting their passports ready. We're just waiting for when they say, please come back, and we will jump right on it.
0: Through all that, how would you recommend churches kind of preparing their missionaries for, you know, obviously you guys were in contact with their missionaries and partners before the war started. How would you recommend churches prepare their missionaries and partners for doing ministry on a literal battlefield?
1: Um, well, you got to be called to it. And not everybody's called called to that. I mean, we have some people who are praying mightily and giving graciously. But if I were to say, hey, we're going tomorrow, they'd go, not me. And that's Okay. Yes, we are all called to go, but we're not all called to go to Ukraine. Um, We're not all called to go to to uh, war torn areas. We're not all called to go on the battlefield. So there'll be specific people who have a heart for that, that will rise to the surface. And we will tap those people and and empower those people and help them to go. Um, And that's really it. It's the calling. You know, some people would be would feel called to go somewhere else, whereas, um, you know, Ukraine, there's a certain group in our church that feels extremely, extremely called to that. We have another group in our church that feels extremely called to Haiti, that every time the door opens in Haiti, they're there and we do medical missions, construction, and we do uh, revivals and discipleship, you know, evangelism. And that and Haiti's not for everybody because it's an extremely hot country. All 12 months of the year. And Ukraine is not for everybody. So it, it's a lot about calling. But if you have people that's called, you you know, you've got to make sure they're trained in, in how to share the gospel, how to share their faith, how to disciple, how to um, live in a different culture, whether they know the language or not. And then how to, to you basically have to, you, you need to eat what they eat. You need to live like they live. You need to adjust your expectations and your, I, I hate to say standard of living, but the way you live, you need to adjust it to the culture you're going into.
0: Oh. Uh, I
1: hope that answers the question.
0: Yeah, no, that does. One final question that, that I was thinking of while we were talking. So what did, I know you talked about your the ministry that y'all kind of did going from Kiev to Lviv. What kind of ministries did you do in, in Ukraine?
1: Um, we went to orphanages and that, um, of course, the government was involved a bit in that. But our, our ministry, our contact missionary was familiar with all that, and knew how to you know jump through the hoops and everything. Um, and it was because we were doing that ministry and they were going, you're from America and you're helping our orphans when even our own people and our own government won't do that well, tell us more about you. Tell us more about your church. And so when we started doing that, they were like, and we would show them pictures of our church and we would talk to them about the ministries we were doing. They were, and then they would say, well, we want our church to do what you all are doing. We want to pray, give, and go. We want to reach out to our community. And so then we started going back and teaching their churches how to be missional, you know, right in their own community. And then to actually to send missionary, you know, send people to other parts of Ukraine and then other parts of the world. Ukraine is a very missions minded country. The believers there are very missions minded. And then our main contact in Ukraine said, hey, you're doing you're doing that so well in Kiev. But there's an even greater need. People are begging for people like you to come to Lviv and do the same thing. And so we just shifted focus because the need was greater in Lviv, plus we'd already established things. um, Like one of the churches in Kyiv that we started working with and training, they're now the primary bomb shelter in their area of the city where all of these tall high-rises are. And when one of the high-rises was hit by a missile, they evacuated all of those people to that church. Oh, wow. And that church got to feed them, clothe them, get them out of the city if necessary, share the gospel with them, invite them into worship. It's become kind of a lifeboat in that area, in that particular, um, I call it neighborhood of Kiev, And everybody is gravitating there. Well, that's because that church, it's not because of us. It's because God called us to go there. We shared with them they were reaching out into the community and making a name for Jesus based on our example. And now the same thing that happened to us is happening to them. People are drawn to them. So they get to share the gospel. They get to disciple people. Um, and so while there was that need, it was an even greater need in Lviv churches were hungry saying, please come teach us, please come and show us. And so we go to an orphanage during the day and then we train the church at night. And we just did that. That was our daily routine was, orphanage during the day uh church discipleship or or training classes at night um and so that's how it kind of happened
0: that's awesome is there anything that i didn't ask about either you or um, clayton baptist church or your like the ministries that you guys are involved in that i i should have or just didn't think about (laughs) oh no
1: you ask great questions and really it's all Yeah. I go back to, it's all about calling. I have people say, well, you know, I can't go anymore. I'm too old. I said, no, you can't go, but you can pray or you, you know, as somebody who has a lot of money I'll say, and you can give and they'll do that. But the people, you know, who want to go, whether it's to Ukraine or whatever, you just, you know, you just help people find their calling and then you help them um, live that calling out. And for some people it's down the road, taking food every month for some people, They're on their knees praying, you know, constantly for other people, you know, tell me what you need and I'll write a check. And for other people, it's I'm ready to go. I'm ready to take that next step. Um, You just look for people who are willing to do one of those three things because we're we're all called to do all three. It's just a matter of how much in each area and and where your heart is. We're all called to pray without ceasing. We're all called to be hilarious givers and we're all called to go. Now, we're not all called to pray for the same thing, give to the same thing or go to the same thing. But we're all called to those three things. And it's my job as the missions pastor is to help everybody figure out that calling and where they fit in and then set them off, launch them and let them have at it for the glory of God.
0: Well, that's all for this week. A big thank you to David for being willing to come onto the podcast and tell us about their missionaries in Ukraine. As always, this podcast is brought to you by TMF. For more information, you can visit tmf.org.tw. If you get a moment, please subscribe, rate, and review. It may not sound like much, but every little bit helps. If you have a question or would like to reach out, feel free to contact us at tmfccg@gmail.com. gmail.com. Until next time, bye!